Hi, this is Paul Butler. I'm the Senior Pastor of New Heart Baptist Church. Thanks for checking out our podcast. We hope that this podcast will be a great blessing to you and encourage your life. As we come to the scriptures, I always say that when, we, when you read the scriptures, when you come to the scriptures, you just take the time to acknowledge that God inspired humans to write this. Um, we know that um, John, uh, Tim, 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is God-breathed. That means that he breathes on a person's life and he fills them with his wisdom and his counsel. And these guys use, God used their specific knowledge, their, their personality, a whole lot of things and their information and he breathed into them inspiration to write what they wrote. So when we come to this, here's the cool thing. Not only did he do that way back then, he re-inspires, he re-breathes on us because the truth that he intended us to get from that scripture, he wants us to get again. All right. So uh, throughout the generations who've read the Bible, been inspired by the Bible, God re-breathes. So let's just come into his presence and just acknowledge his breath on this reading. Lord God, as we come to your word today, we pray that you would breathe yet again upon us, your living, breathing word. Lord God, we are desperately in need all the time for your counsel, wisdom and your insight. We need conviction. We need uh, the power to fulfill the word that you've given us. And Lord, we pray that, that you would illuminate and bring light to this word. We pray, ask that you cover us and be with us now in Jesus' name. Now, when all the kings west of the Jordan heard about these things, the kings in the hill country in the western foothills along the entire coast of the Mediterranean Sea, as far as Lebanon, the kings of the Hittites, Amorites and Canaanites, Perizzites, Hivites and Jebusites. I love these lists. Don't you love those lists? They all came together to wage war against Joshua and Israel. However... Don't you love howevers and buts and there's always another story. However, when the people of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and I, they resorted to a ruse, deception. They went as a delegation whose donkeys were loaded with worn out sacks, old wine skins, cracked and mended. They put worn and patched sandals on their feet and wore old clothes. All the bread of their food supply was dry and moldy. Then they went to Joshua in the camp at Gilgal and said to him and the Israelites, we have come from a distant country, make a treaty with us. And the Israelites said to the Hivites, but perhaps you live near us. So how can we make a treaty with you? We're your servants, they said to Joshua. But Joshua asked, who are you and where do you come from? They answered, your servants have come from a very distant country because of the fame of the Lord your God. For we've heard reports of all... Of we have heard reports of him, all that he did in Egypt and all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, Sion king of Heshbon and Og king of Bashan, who reigned in Ashtoreth. And our elders and all those living in our country said to us, take provisions for your journey, go and meet them and say to them, we are your servants. The word is actually slaves. Make a treaty with us. This spread of ours was warm when we packed it at home on the day we left to come to you. But now, see how dry and molded it is. And these wineskins that we filled were new. But see how cracked they are. And our clothes and sandals are worn out by the very long journey. Yeah, right. Gee, how long do you travel before all that happens? 
Anyway, the Israelites sampled their provisions but did not inquire of the Lord. Oh. Then Joshua made a treaty of peace with them to let them live, and the leaders of the assembly ratified it by oath. And three days after they made the treaty with the Gibeonites, the Israelites heard that they were neighbors living near them, about 70 k's. So the Israelites set out, and on the third day came to the cities, Gibeon, uh, Kephira, Beeroth, and Kiriath-Jerim, but the Israelites did not attack them, because the leaders of the assembly had sworn an oath to them by the Lord, the God of Israel. And the whole assembly grumbled against the leaders. But all the leaders answered, We've given them our oath by the Lord, the God of Israel, and we cannot touch them now. This is what we will do to them. We will let them live so that God's wrath will not fall on us for breaking the oath we swore to them. They continued, let them live, but let them be woodcutters and water carriers in the service of the whole assembly. So the leader's promise to them was kept. Then Joshua summoned the Gibeonites and said, Why did you deceive us by saying we live a long way from you while actually you live near us? You are now under a curse. You will never be released from the service as woodcutters and water carriers for the house of my God. They answered Joshua, Your servants, your slaves, were clearly told how the Lord your God had commanded his servant Moses to give you the whole land and to wipe out all its inhabitants from from before you. So we feared for our lives because of you. And that is why we did this. We are now in your hands. Do to us whatever seems good and right to you. So Joshua saved them from the Israelites and they did not kill them. That day he made the Gibeonites woodcutters and water carriers for the assembly to provide for the needs of the altar and of the Lord at the place the Lord would choose. And that is why what they are to this day. Well, that was back in that day. So they're still not doing that because... That whole system of wood cutting and water carrying to the temple because the temple no longer exists in Jerusalem to this day. Well, interesting story. When we um, uh, teach people how to do life groups and how do we teach them to engage a passage of scripture, we start by talking about what is the big idea or ideas in a passage. So I just want you to reflect on that story that you've just heard. There are a couple of ideas. Sometimes passages have a big idea and then multiple little ideas. I'm wondering if we can just have a couple of minutes just with the people around you just to talk about what's the big idea that you noticed from that story. A lesson or lessons that stuck out to you. You've got a couple of minutes.
Okay. Just by giving you all this group a minute or two, we've got the combined ability to get different ideas from different parts of the room. And it'll be interesting just to see what the big idea that your, your group came up with. There might have been a little idea. So it's ideas. Big idea or ideas. Okay, I'm going to divide the room into quarters. I've got this quadrant here. And because we're going on Zoom, we just get you to put your hand up and Brad will do a runner. Uh, yeah, and um, my good friend who's recovered from his heart. Graham, thank you. Uh, we thank God for your heart coming back into rhythm. That's awesome. Um, okay, this quad quadrant here. Who's got a big idea to share with the group? Ken, thank you. They didn't ask the Lord about it. Yeah, they, they didn't. So there's a theme there. They didn't seek the counsel of the Lord. They didn't inquire of the Lord. And so what happened? They got sucked in. All right. Quadrant at the back. Oh, yeah, Tracy. They came under a curse. Uh, people came under a curse. That's right. Why? Because they lied. This group up the back here. Somebody got something? Linda's going to have a go. David agreed with that. Uh, they didn't ask of the Lord. And then I said, once they made the oath, they stuck with it regardless. Yes, so the, uh, one of the things was is that the importance of sticking to a covenant. All right, uh, this, this, this part here. Oh, Andrew's up the back. We'll go to the back quadrant. Um, so God took Israel's folly, failing to seek him, and their enemy, his treachery, and turned it into something good. Those, oh, that's that, a those generations that were destined to be destroyed yep. became servants going forward and and I would argue evangelism. Whoa. But they acknowledged God. Oh, he's got a sermon going here. <laughs> Quite similar to if you go back to Rahab. Yeah. All right. Wow. It's amazing what two minutes can reveal. So what Andrew's just said, uh, so God took something bad and brought something good out of it. Anybody ever had that done in your life? Oh, good theme, that one. All right, from this, this area here, Andrew, one thought. This is a different thought. It's from the point of view of the Gibeonites. They, they humbled themselves and, and decided that they were willing to become servants and uh, they they respected what God had done and they'd heard it and they said, whatever it takes, whatever it takes for us to be able to stay alive, to live, we will, we will come under under the auspices, come under the authority of the of Israel. Mm. That's good. That's right. So they, they humbled themselves. Some really good stuff there. So let's just um, Exodus... Uh, and Joshua, Exodus is the, the narrative that precedes the book of Joshua and you can read those two books together as one continuous story. But Exodus is actually like the Gospels. The Exodus actually gives us a picture of what, it, for you and me, what it's like to be saved by God. Uh, the book of Exodus is also, and the book of Joshua, the, the book of Joshua is like the book of Acts, how to be led by the life, of, how to walk in the life of the Spirit. 
So you've got Exodus, it's how God saves us out of slavery, saves us from death. And then he brings us into a place where he brings us into a covenant, into a, a, a relationship with him. The book of Joshua is living with the power of the Holy Spirit and walking with God daily and all the lessons that go along with that. So just for example, Exodus, the people of uh, Israel were under the, under the power of the king of Egypt, the pharaoh of Egypt, and they were slaves. They were slaves and they were trapped. And then God sends a saviour. What's his name? Moses. And God sends Moses to tell them, I'm going to set you free and you're going to come out and you're going to worship me and you're going to be my people and I'm going to take you into the promise. You can see that picture. And then what happens is that there's a, there's a victory over the enemy and the final victory is through the life of a lamb slain and his blood causing them to be saved from the greatest enemy for humanity, death. And then finally, there's this great baptism through the Red Sea where, they, where their enemy is cut off from them. And then they come out and they go into the wilderness where God reveals himself as Yahweh to them and he gives them a promise. I'll be your God, you will be my people. Here's how you are to live before me. That's Exodus. And then we go to Joshua and we get the, the book of Joshua where you've got this crossing out of the wilderness through the Jordan and you, the Jordan always represents the descending, the power of the Holy Spirit. And they go through the Jordan, they believe God, they trust in God, they take steps of faith, they allow God's boldness and courage to come upon them, they enter the land. That's just like us as Christians. God's spirit comes upon us and he says, now I want you to take hold of the promises that I have for you in this life. And then we walk into those promises and the first thing they did as they crossed that river and they went into that land is they circumcised themselves and then they had their first Passover. And that is just like our lives. We set ourselves apart to be used by God for his purpose, for his calling. We are his children. We are his and then we celebrate the Passover that we always remember. One of the signs of being Christian is that we celebrate communion with one another. And we baptize those who are being saved because we want them to remember that they are saved by the power of the cross, the death, the burial and the resurrection of Jesus. And we don't forget as we set ourselves apart for his purpose to be a people who are holy separated for his purpose and then we learn of the story God reveals himself and he takes them and he defeats he actually hands Jericho over to them and what they do is they collaborate with God they work with God they follow his instructions and they take hold of the city of Jericho and then the very next thing they do is they forget the counsel of the Lord and they have a failure because there's sin in the camp and, and there's a defeat there's a massive defeat one great victory followed by a defeat ever had that happen in your life and we're learning to live, and then we learn from the story of Achan a, a way for us to be made right with God when we sin. And how to get rid of sin out of the camp so that you can be restored and continue with the calling and purpose of God. And then you have this, this story where they defeat I, and then the story goes on, and then there's this time where jo, uh, Roger talked about it last week, where the people recommitted and renewed their covenant with God. Said, We are your people. We want the blessings. We don't want the curses that you talked about. We want to pursue you. And Joshua writes the commands on a new set of stones. And you know what? The new covenant is 
that God says to us, and I will write my law on your all right, I'll give you a new heart and I'll write my law on it. That's the new covenant. And now we come. So what we're learning all through Joshua is, is that just like the book of Acts, there is victories and there's failures. There's, this is pictures of what, what God is wanting to do in us. The reality for my Christian life and your Christian life is that we have a mixture of victories as we obey God and failures. And when we read the scriptures, they teach us both about victory and defeat and how we deal with our defeat, how we deal with our failures and how we overcome our enemies. Isn't that good? God gives us, Old Testament is so good because it reveals New Testament realities as we remember, oh, that story lines up with that. And some of you started to do that as you were reading the story of the Gibeonites. So the big idea is where we start. The next question, what do we learn about God? Well, there's lots of good things we learn about God. Here, Andrew touched on how God took the failings of the Gibeonites, their lies, their deception, but he saw their desperation, their humility, and he responded to that. And then, sorry, I'm going back to that. What, is, what do we learn about us as humans from that story? What stands out? And what my takes away? They're the five questions that we ask when we do life group and when we read the Bible together. Can I just say this to you? I have this deep conviction that disciples of Jesus, which if you're a believer, you're a disciple of Jesus, have got to become absolutely committed to this idea that we are going to read, that we are going to study, and we are going to apply the scriptures. That this is an absolutely fundamental thing that God uses in our life to speak into our hearts. And that we should not be so addicted and so completely caught up in podcasts, in websites and things where you've got great teaching and you're not studying the word yourself. The gift of teaching is a gift to the body of Christ and is for the building up of the saints so that they can share the word with others. But when people rely totally on people to, to tell them what to believe and they don't read the Bible, which we all have access. I've got 45 different versions of the Bible on my iPhone. Which one do I want to read today? I don't have, a access, I don't have a lack of access to the Bible. The question is, will I read it and will I let God breathe on that word in my life in such a way that I could do that with somebody else? That's what God wants us to do. And so when we do life group, we want that to reflect that. But it can be done in my life. You can take those questions, read the next passage that comes along in Joshua chapter 10, and God will rebreathe and he will reveal what he's done in Jesus in you and how he wants to apply that for today. So this is what I learned. I'm going to take some of the thoughts that you said. I've already thought of them, but it was so good that you got them in two minutes. How good is that? So the first thing I learn is when I read uh, Joshua chapter 9 verses 1 or 2 is that we are an active threat to our enemy. Six of the seven nations of the Canaanites went to war on Joshua and Israel. Why? They were scared. They knew what God had done in Jericho and I, and they'd heard about what had happened to the kings on the other side of the Jordan. They'd also going back 40 years to what God had done in Egypt, and they were scared. You have an enemy who is actually scared of the mightiness of your God and what he can do through you. He sees you as a threat. So what he does, he will attack you. He'll attack you front on. It says in um, 
His first strategy is, I'm going to just go hard. I'm going to go straight at you. So uh, John 10.10 says, The thief has come that he uh, might, that he would, um, I have come that give you life. But he's talking about, Jesus, Jesus is talking about the thief here when he says he wants to kill, steal and destroy. This is the work of the evil one in our life. He will find ways, if he can, he'll kill you. If he can't kill you because God says no, he'll steal from you. And if he can't steal from you, then he'll seek to destroy you or what you have. That's his strategy. The second strategy, so this is like the first uh, part of Joshua chapter 9. Six of the enemies go, we're not going to surrender. It's, we're going to go for it. It's, we're going to fight to the death. That if they're going to kill us, they're going to have to fight us. You have an enemy who knows he's on the clock. He already knows his destiny. So he's going to take down or seek to take down you and help you not to be God's purposeful people in the world. He wants to undermine your faith in God. He wants you to be silent. He does not want you to be a light set on a hill. He does not want you to be salt that brings season to, to people's lives. He does not want you to feel loved by God. He does not want you to walk by faith and not by sight. He wants you to become reliant on yourself and not on God. He wants all this stuff and he will use circumstances and things. Let me tell you, the last six weeks with Michelle being completely unable to wait bed, do you think that was easy? Let me tell you, massive fails left, right and centre from me, the carer. I'm smiling, but I'm deeply sad that my love was tested. And you know what? The enemy knew when... You know, I don't think he caused Michelle to, to... I don't think he tripped her. She tripped herself. She broke her leg. But the enemy used this circumstance to actually attack me. He said... I'm going, to, I'm going to make you become selfish and feel sorry for yourself. And, and I'm going to, to get you to be limited in what you will do and what you don't, won't do. And I'll get, you to com- get him to complain. And, and, and I will just do whatever I can to stop him asking for the agape love of God to fill him so that he would give with nothing in return expected. How many of you have ex- ever loved like that? I can tell you... I've loved like that and I've not loved like that. And you'll face circumstances in your life and the enemy attacks you front on and you've got a choice to make. The choice is, will I give in to that attack and live out of my flesh, out of my desires, out of my feelings, or will I live by faith in the Son of God? Will I ask him to give me love that I don't have? Will I ask him to give me kindness and gentleness and self-control? Will I ask him to love like I've never loved before? Strategy two is Joshua 9, 13 to 27. The enemy will seek to infiltrate and undermine our defences. This is what the Gibeonites did. And you could actually think that's what the whole big idea of this story was. Uh, in one ways, we, the big idea of this story is, is that There are two kinds of enemies. There is the six nations and there is one nation, the Gibeonites. 
and they decide to be deceptive and to get behind Israel and to actually uh, assimilate with them. And they, it actually looks bad, but what actually uh, looks bad and actually is bad is uh, someone said Rahab. Remember how Rahab lied? Lies are not good, right? Never good. But God used her sin and turned it for good. He saved her and his whole family. And we read in the chronology of Jesus' generations that um, King David was born out of Rahab. And the family of Rahab and Boaz and, and Ruth and all these people that are recorded towards King David, they came out of this this turning of a Canaanite who believed that God was going to save her. And then this got this story of the enemy who, who decided to be deceptive. And I could just leave it at that whole thing and just go into spiritual warfare and how the enemy will try to deceive us. Who's ever been deceived? You know that the second strategy is that enemy will try to deceive you. It starts in Genesis 3. Oh, did God say... We know that deception is part, his name devil means liar. He will deceive you through lies. He will de- and that's what the Gibeonites were doing. But I see a bigger picture here. Um, another big idea that we see in Joshua 9.14 and someone pointed out is they did not seek counsel from the Lord. I, I, can I just say to you, my life in prayer is like breath to my lungs. My ability to put God first is definitely relating to the way I talk to him or not talk to him. God wants us to talk to him. But God wants us to listen to him. And that's more important than talking to him. And my ability to serve him is is actually where I'm listening to what he is saying to me. And Joshua, the deception actually unfolds, just like in the story of the defeat of I. The defeat of I happens because they did not seek the counsel of the Lord. And if they had, God would have said, before you go into battle, there's a problem. You need to deal with that first. Someone stole something out of Jericho that was prohibited, that was actually should have been destroyed. Deal with that first and then we can take I. But what they did is they ran off and said, it's a little town, we'll just wipe it out. And we learn from that that we seek the counsel of the Lord. God will tell us, reveal to us what's going on in our lives that needs to be dealt with before we move in. But they didn't seek the counsel from the Lord. So I learned something from that story. This could have, this, uh, they could have been spared from deception. They got very frustrated. The whole Israelite army went after the Gibeonites. They wasted three days and three days back. They actually got there and they were going to do something. They went, uh, can't do anything. We're going to wipe you out. But we made a promise to you. Now we can't do anything. So, okay. I was stuck. Which leads me to the next big thing, big idea in this thing. And I want to say to you, God takes covenants seriously. They are unbreakable. Uh, I met with a young couple this week doing pre-marriage counselling from the Kareni and I had to use words because English is not their uh, first language, it's their second language. I had to explain covenant. So I said this. I said marriage is an unbreakable promise. God, when we make our promises before God, those promises 
are unbreakable. There is only two ways that those promises made before God can be broken. One is death and the other one is by marital unfaithfulness. That is the only ways that that promise can be broken. And what I know about God and his covenant is that when Israel, when Joshua and his people made that covenant with, uh, with the Gibeonites, God went, you act on my behalf. You made that oath before me. You cannot, because of this, their deception, go, yeah, we won't do it. That's how serious God takes covenant. There was deception there. There was bad attitude. By The Gibeonites were kind of almost self-serving. But God still used it. God still takes covenant seriously. Can I just say we need to be people today, New Testament reality, that Jesus said, let your yes be yes. When we make a promise, we do so as children of God and in his name. It's not just you. You've got the living God in you. And he says, when you say yes, make sure that you fulfill your promise. When you say you're going to do something, you do it. Let that be something holy unto the Lord. And so I learned from this passage, a big idea is that God takes covenant seriously. But this is the part that I love. If you can't beat them, join them. I love the Gibeonites. If you... <laughs> yeah, they did. They're so desperate. They're prepared to be deceptive and to come up with a ruse, to come up with this plan. And you see, this is what will happen. People will either fight God. They'll fight against God. They'll speak against God. They won't have anything to do with God. They'll try to run away and hide from God. Oh, no, I'll just pretend that he's not there and that he's, he's, he doesn't know anything. He doesn't feel anything. I can just do my own thing. Or they will fall on their knees and ask for mercy. And I love the fact that the Gibeonites were the people who did that. They weren't like the other six nations who said, fight to the death. We will not surrender, even though we know that this God. See, God told them to the Israelites, do not make deals with them. And some of them knew that God said, in fact, the Gibeonites knew God told Israel, do not make deals with them. So they had to use a deception to get saved. Listen, I've got to tell you about this. I believe that in the world that we live in, there are people who are desperate to know God and to no longer be slaves and are no longer be threat under the threat of judgment, which they deserve. There are people who recognize that they cannot gain forgiveness by fixing themselves. They cannot make their life better by filling it with whatever they're going to fill it with. They are empty and they are broken and they know it. These people were empty and broken and they knew it and they came looking for salvation. And guess what? Joshua didn't seek the counsel of the Lord about it. I don't know what would God have done. They, weren't, they were told not to make a deal, but do you reckon that God would have recognized their faith, their humility, and their desire to come in? I think he would have. God rewards humility and faith. And this reminds me of a story in the New Testament where Jesus had a Canaanite woman come to him because her daughter was demonized and was completely crazy. 
And um, God uh, rewarded her because she came and said, please, can you heal my daughter? The story of the Syrophoenician woman in Matthew 15, 21 to 28. And Jesus actually said, I didn't come to the Gentiles. I came to Israel, to the lost sheep of Israel. And she said, you know what? Even the dogs get to eat the crumbs from the table. And Jesus said to his disciples, I haven't seen faith like this in all of Israel. What did he do? He healed the daughter. This is the same story. The same God who actually allowed these people to become woodcutters and water carriers where? To the most holy presence of God. These people were Canaanites and God said, you will carry the very things that will be used by the priests in order to fulfill washing and to fulfill sacrifices to the living God. They were as close as it got. No one else got to go and do that. God said, you will come close because of your humility and because of your faith. What does that tell you about us? What's in it for us? I look at these Gibeonites and they, they're just like me. They were not good. They were deserving of judgment. They would sin and fallen short of the glory of God. They were doomed. And just like them, people can face the reality, this is my situation before God and I can either fight him or I can fall on my knees and say, please forgive me. Please let me just, it reminds me of that parable. Can I just be your servant? I, I, won't, I won't be your son anymore. Please just, can I come and be your slave in your household? And what does God do? He says, get the barbecue going. Put some new shoes on. New garment. Put a ring on his finger. Let's restore him to sonship. These people, if you look at the history, homework, and I'm finishing, your homework is look up Gibeon, the word Gibeon, or Gibeonite. Just do a word study and you'll find out what happened after this to the rest of the descendants. You'll find out these people had a special place in God's community hundreds of years later way up to Nehemiah and Ezra. It's so cool. How good is our God? That's called amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. One little story, big ideas. God may speak to our hearts like that. You know what? I want to be, um, my, my takeaway from this is this. I, I want to be a person that inquires of the Lord and seeks his counsel. And I want to be ready to receive those people who God has prepared in advance. They believed. The Gibeonites believed what God had done. And they believed that they needed to be saved and they came looking for salvation. And God went, you're no longer condemned to death. You're part of us, part of my people. Lord, I pray for us today that we would be people who would seek your counsel, that we would 
be inspired by you about the people that you bring to us. That we would recognize faith. We would recognize desperation. We will recognize humility. We recognize the preparation that you have done in a person's heart. And Lord, that we would be able to, to bring them to a place where they could know you, Jesus. That you would use us in their lives to receive the greatest gift of all, eternal life, in the name of Jesus, the Son of God. God, we're so glad that you've given us stories like this in the Old Testament that revealed Yeshua in the New. We're just so blessed. I just pray the spirit of the living God to fall afresh on you. I pray right now that you would be gospel carriers, good news carriers. I pray the Lord would give you discernment against the attacks of the enemy and that you will be empowered to respond in faith, boldness and courage. I pray that the Lord would cause you to walk in wisdom and counsel so that when the this enemy tries to deceive you, that you will be alert to his deception and rebuke him and tell him to go in the name of Jesus. I pray that he will keep you from temptation and deliver you from evil. And I pray, God, that your divine power and might would cause us to be able to help people to come into a new covenant, an unbreakable promise with you, and that they would enter into the promise of the kingdom of God. We pray this in Jesus' name.